Hey friends, welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we help Christians find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus embodying responses to current day issues. One of the current day issues that we are dealing with today is just sexual abuse and abuse scandals in religious organizations. And is that current day that, you know, that's abuse is not new. Um, cover-up is not new, but something that is a little bit new and kind of unique to our time is that we have awareness campaigns. We have more advocacy movements to to care for the people that are victims of abuse and so forth. And we have things like podcasts where we can bring people on to tell their stories. And so these conversations are talked about more and more. It creates kind of a social awareness, also kind of social accountability and, and social nudging towards uh, health and towards reform and, and doing things, doing missions, doing church, doing community in a healthy way so that abusers are not given home. And I'm excited to have on the podcast this week, Dilo Gadet, who wrote the, the book In the Name of Mission Work. I don't know if you've heard of it. You can access it on Amazon, but this is basically the firsthand account of the whole Jariah Mast sexual abuse scandal that happened uh, in, in Cam's involvement in Haiti, Christian Aid Ministries, and so forth. And so he, he's on the podcast today. He tells his story. Um, obviously, it's fairly abbreviated. We it's somewhat of a long podcast, and yet we still just kind of skimmed over the top of the story. If you want to read it for yourself, just go ahead and get the book. You can ac access that in the link in the description of this podcast or video, however you're listening to this. But I'm just going to turn it over to, to our conversation. We do dive at the end. We, we spend some time discussing for the, the Patreon members. We discuss like what would it what would it have looked like if everything was handled well from the beginning if when he went reported the abuse like how could things have been handled in a healthy manner and he has some really really good feedback in that regard and it begins with the churches at home so if you're interested in that if you would like to access the expanded version of the podcast you get, there's a link below, or you can go to asherwhitmer.com forward slash member and become a member and access all expanded versions of the podcast. But other than that, we basically just kind of discuss the book and discuss the whole scandal and kind of how it was handled and so forth. Right. I'm excited to have a new friend on the podcast. I'm a little apprehensive to pronounce his name because I hate mispronouncing names, but I also want to say it just for practice and because it's his name. But Dildi Gadet. Did I say that right? It's <laughs> close. That's close. Goes by goes also by Dilo, which is a little easier for us. Americans to handle. Um, 
but yeah, thank you for coming on and, and being willing to have a conversation just to give some context. Um, Dilo recently published a book. See if I can bring it in. Oof. That's big. In the name of mission work, you can get it on Amazon or I know you can get it on Amazon. I'm sure there's other places, but it basically is the story of particularly your experience in working with Christian aid ministries in Haiti and the, the whole Jiraiya mast sexual abuse scandal that came to light in 2019. But you, you were really kind of there from, from the beginning for that, that journey, even trying to, uh, report it to cam early on. And, and so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not necessarily an easy read. It's, it's very well written. So it's easy to read in that way, but it's graphic. And it's also just difficult to read, to think that this kind of thing was happening in the name of mission work. But one of the things that I really appreciated was just the context that you gave for yourself. And so I thought maybe we'd start our conversation here. We want to, we want to get into the Jiraiya mask case. We want to get into working with cam and missions, but maybe let's just start by hearing your story and yeah, from you can include as much or little as you wish, but uh, just your journey to faith growing up in a Christian home. Your, your dad was a, pastor right yes still yeah. is he still is okay yeah so yeah i'll just turn it over to you you can kind of start start us off where you think we should should start yeah well thanks for having me asher um it's a pleasure and a privilege um yeah just like you say the dialogue it's probably easier for everybody uh so i was raised in a in a Christian family, uh, more more on the conservative side, uh, uh, not Anabaptist necessarily, but very close. And uh, ever since I was born, um, I found that my dad is a pastor and uh, a teacher of the Bible. And we always had friends, uh, you know, in, in Christian communities, other families, or the pastors around, and along along with uh, with friends of my dad, they had a group, not not like a church, but well, I guess you could call it a church um, because wherever you know people are gathered in the name of God and teaching the Bible and and uh, singing. I guess you could call it a church. So and. At that time, we were living in Port-au-Prince, uh, more like in Corfu, the, the south part of Port-au-Prince. So, yeah, we we lived there for for numbers a number of years, and my dad was also always involved in ministry and preaching, going places on mission trips. Um, and as as the oldest, I got to go with him many times. And uh, I fell in love with, uh, just like any child, whatever your dad is doing, your mom is doing, you pay attention, you develop an interest in that. So that was me. I was very into, into the Bible, into 
uh, into church life, uh, into asking questions and stuff like that. So I grew up like that. And uh, <clears throat> in 2002, um, we moved from Port-au-Prince to, uh, to the countryside. This is where my dad felt that he was, he was led by God to go pastor a church. And, uh, and that's when I, like a formal church, um, mm. I live like with my dad as a, as an ordained pastor, right? And uh, that is when really I got exposed and uh, got familiar with, uh, with a very dogmatic, legalistic system. And uh, I go in more details about it in the book. But that sort of became the thing I, uh, I started to fight against ever since I was a teenager, just uh, doing my best to uh, always ask questions because I was raised, um, I was taught that the Bible is the authority, right? And uh, so I started asking questions based on the Bible, how can, how can we be doing this in this way or doing this in that way uh, based on what I was taught to be truth growing up. And uh, that is when uh, I started to realize, you know, the power of religion and the power of our leaders and how destructive it can be. So I'd say ever since uh, I've been on a journey uh, to fight for my faith, but not that's mm. just against the enemy, but against inconsistencies and uh, against mm. uh, abuse and partiality and uh, uh, just selfishness of many of our leaders. Mm. Um, so one friend, uh, well, after a few years, uh, don't want to get into many details. <laughs> um, so a few years uh, in, in in the countryside, it's called Labish, the place. After a few years living there, uh, a friend with my dad introduced us to 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 some missionary friends, right? And that is where during the first, I think the first visit, one missionary, as you know, dry amassed, uh, abused me. And uh, yeah, and that starts another journey with uh, for me trying to uh, fight again for truth, trying to report. Um, it wasn't taken seriously. More cases, more abuse. Trying to report again. Um, we're told it would be taken care of, and the rest is history. I think uh, we know we know uh, some about the, the case already, but. Uh, Back to your questions. Yeah, I was raised in a Christian family, in a dogmatic, legalistic, you could say, and with a lot of, uh, with our leaders holding a lot of power and influencing, influencing the people in the way they, they understand the Bible. It's just teaching and uh, applying the Bible in a way that that makes them feel powerful. Yeah, so that that is my background. It's uh, I thought it would be, it was important 
that people have an idea, at least, you know, um, of where uh, I come from on the Haitian side, you know, and it's important for me so people know that abuse and, uh, uh, you know, legalism, it, uh, it exists everywhere as well. And uh, there is a version of it in every country, in every society, every community, because it is one of the devil's most uh, effective weapons, you know, is the misuse of power, misuse of uh, authority in, in, uh, in our religious context, you know, is one of the, yeah, is one of the very faithful crowd that the, the devil can always count on to to destroy Jesus, I could say, to fight against Jesus, not destroy, to never destroy him, but uh, ever since the Lord was on earth, he could always count on the religious leader to just assassinate uh, or just create confusion and uh, create lies around the person of Jesus. And uh, I think it's still very much the same, and it wasn't different for from me growing up in Haiti. So that is uh, that is my background. Uh, just a lot of just a lot of abuse, and uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately, it's it hasn't changed, it hasn't changed. Uh, um, but that is the background that that uh, I grew up in, and the background, like you said, uh, that. Uh, I then started to work with missions and uh, was introduced to Anabaptism and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was interesting reading your story. And obviously you, you do go into a lot more detail in the book. Um, but just, yeah, seeing that there was already, because I think if, if I understood, if I heard you accurately in your book, some of the abuse you dealt with prior to CAM, prior to any of that, probably caused some confusion then when you started dealing with abuse from from CAM and or through CAM and wondering, you know, even I think after your initial encounter with Jirai, you spent several years trying to erase it or, or yeah. block it from your memory. And a lot of that had to do with how Haitian pastors responded to you about it all. And, and just kind of the gaslighting, I guess you might say um, <laughs> that you dealt with. The, the other thing I found interesting that I thought it was just a good reminder is it can be easy for American missionaries to go into a country and assume that they're bringing, I, I don't know if you sense this at all. I don't remember you talking about it specifically in the book, but um, if you sense this from missionaries coming in, but it can be easy to think, oh, we're going to a foreign land. We're bringing the gospel here. But almost every place except for some Far East tribal areas but even there i've been surprised sometimes like how how much they do have a context for the gospel already and there are christians in that area um there are churches 
that are trying to follow Jesus in that area. That was kind of interesting getting that context for, is that something you sense at all with, with missions coming to Haiti is that they're, they're bringing the gospel in. Um, or do you, do you feel like a lot of missions do have an awareness of the Christian presence in Haiti? Yeah. Yeah. Good call. That's a, that's a good, good observation. And it, it, it definitely exists. And, uh, and since it's tied, since it's tied with uh, material help or with money, um, in, in, in French, we have that saying that says, giving us mud, it means whichever one has the finance is the one that has power. So even if, even if you go to an area where the gospel already exists, and people are already serving God. And the fact that as a missionary, you go there with money, supposedly, right? Mm. With mm. you're the one who can bring something that they don't, don't have, maybe build a school, uh, do some humanitarian work, uh, start a clinic or support, give some type of support. Then with that financial power, it automatically and I wish it wasn't like that, but mm-hmm. a lot of time our local leaders will, will kind of submit and will act as if, um, you know, they never heard about the gospel, for instance, or mm-hmm. they would uh, overlook certain doctrinal differences, or they would, um, yeah, it's just finding a way, how can we make it easy for them to invest in our community. So, yeah. uh, but like you say, that's a good call. And uh, that, uh, that speaks a lot about the faithfulness, faithfulness of God and, uh, and that the kingdom is marching on wherever you go. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a very good call to always remember. Uh, maybe God is calling me to serve in that area, but, you know, to not think that I'm the one bringing the gospel there. You know, mm-hmm. God has a purpose for me, and uh, but yeah, that's good. The gospel is already there. The people are already already serving God. The spirit of God is already moving there. That's good. Mm-hmm. So what what led you to start working with Cam as a translator? Or yeah, what was your initial encounter with Cam? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's. I think it's important for me to um, to make some distinctions. You know, I so Cam is probably the biggest, one of the biggest missions in Haiti, like all denominations, you know, mm-hmm. included. And it, I think it's the biggest one as far as the Anabaptists go. And uh, and the way the Anabaptist missions work in Haiti, it can be hard to know who you're working for exactly at, uh, at a certain period of time. For instance, okay. um, I, I talk about some accounts in the book or where or some of the abuse happened. They would be during events that were, these events would be held or would be organized by, by different missions. Like mm-hmm. Anabaptists, they like to work together. You know, so you can have uh, a revival going there, the translator is from Kim, 
you know, the team is coming from another mission, the vehicle, the driver is with another mission, okay. and, uh, and yeah. stuff like that. So, so whenever we say cam, it may be some people in the team is from cam, but there are all, also other missions. So to your question, um, so a friend of my dad was involved with, with Anabaptist missionaries. He worked for Cam. He was also involved with another mission. I think it's called Charity Missions. Oh, okay. of, uh, in, yeah. So uh, got introduced. Introduced to uh, the, his team. I think he had a team, and he he went and visited my dad's place with the team. So and that's so you know as a pastor's kid, my proximity to the team was you know pretty evident so i got to befriend them and be around them and uh you know talk to them and stuff like that and i think that team liked the 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 legalistic the controlling um micromanaging system that that exists in my church in the local church and they thought that would be a good fit for for the network you know and that is when uh, their relationship developed with the with the local church. I, I go in some details about the book how it developed from you know just coming and and preaching about um, sin, about Bible doctrines, to um, you know start 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 to teach about you know Anabaptist uh, ideals, you know. Mm. And uh, it, it, it evolved from there to to my dad, you know, starting working with camps, camps, you know, continuing and um, supporting the school that we had at church, and me uh, working with different missions on, you know, maybe stuff like uh, mobile clinics or interpret for, you know, when people come to mobile clinics or. Mm. I interpret in revivals and trainings and stuff like that. So I, um, it, it pretty quick people started, um, you know, discovering me as a translator and stuff like that. Okay. So that was how I kind of got, got into that system. And then in 2014, uh, I was contacted by Kim to join uh, their discipleship program as a as a translator. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you you went through the program as a student, or specifically translating the for the teachers. The... So the way it works, um, they would hand select people that are that they know uh, that that they know is doctrinally close to the Anabaptists. So they would they would choose somebody that you know maybe. His dad is a pastor. He's he's he was raised in a, in a church that that has a close doctrine to the Anabaptists, mm-hmm. and so I joined the program not not as a student, but as a as a translator. But they wouldn't have chosen me as a translator if they didn't if they weren't certain that my doctrine were, was close enough to what was yeah. being taught. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, your initial encounter with Jariah, though, was before working as a, like, was as a boy. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to kind of, do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yes. Yes. So I, uh, so during one of these visits that I, that I talked about with this group of missionaries, uh, just getting closer and starting to visit my dad's church more often. So um, my abuse happened it was during a revival weekend, and uh, my abuser uh, was part of you know. That's another thing uh, with the Anabaptists, you know, whoever is in the country the longer, uh, the longest, you know, get to to play a role so as an advisor or leader in the with yeah. the teams. So my abuser would be somebody who who has been in Haiti for a longer period of time and would be one of the team leaders, you know. And one that who can translate, who's somewhat familiar with the culture. Um, so he was he was that in the team. And so after after the service, he invited me to. He wanted to sleep in, in the church, and he set up his tent there. And he in Haitian culture, it's not uncommon for for several men to sleep together. You know, like when I say sleep together, not like you know, but yeah. to to lay in the same room and sleep, whatever. That's not a big deal. So I was allowed, go ahead. Well, I was just curious, like is setting up a tent in, in the church, is that typical or was that kind of unique? Good call. Good call. I didn't think. So in Haiti, uh, especially when there are teams and not, not just, not just uh, American teams. Like if you're having a conference, something that that lasts two, three days, uh, usually you don't have a, a dormitory, for example, for instance. So after after church is dismissed, people would use the church. They would sleep in the church. Oh, okay, I see. So that's probably yeah. new for you. Yeah, no, that I've I've um I've been. In Nepal, I can remember where, yeah, we slept like guys were on one side, ladies mm-hmm. were on the other, and we exactly. slept in the church. But the, yeah. having a having a specific tent that was kind of a new new thing. To me. Yeah, so that's where I, that was how I was coming. So sleeping in the church wasn't was it a new thing, but for him to set up a tent that was different. But it's oh, worth okay. mentioning too that the church was wasn't like totally covered. So oh. I think half of the church was covered, but half of it was not yet. And I think he used that as a as an excuse to set up a tip. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the abuse happened. Um, don't want to go into too many graphic details, but it uh, I knew it was an abuse. I tried to convince him that what what, what he was doing was was wrong. Mm-hmm. And he tried to manipulate me with the with with the same gospel. Just you know, I will pray afterwards. God will forgive us. It's nothing. Um, you know, he tried several times. I tried to resist him, and I finally um, uh, woke up and went home. So, so that was the instance. And um, 
So right before they left, so they were they were they were in our community for a few days. I think for the, for a weekend. Nah, if yeah. I remember right, it was on Sunday afternoon, right before they left. I, you know, I gathered my courage and reported what happened to another team leader that came with the with the missionaries and a local a local pastor at my church and. Um, they just denied it, and mm. I think one of them laughed at me as if I was I was crazy, and uh, it just basically ended up convincing me that what I what I what I what I'm reporting is is a lie. It's, and one of them tried to to talk to me and say, "Hey, I know you're not trying to lie," and. Uh, but it's possible that maybe you just had a bad dream, you know? Mm. And I think another pastor, the team, the guy that came with it, the team leader said that these people are too spiritual. They would never do something like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was, I was really young. It wasn't, I was in my early teens. <clears throat> so the easiest thing, the easiest thing for me was to just believe them. And, uh, mm-hmm. Think that made sense it made sense and it was easier to digest for me at that time yeah why why do you think that was like was it what was this a new thing to have to deal with somebody reporting abuse or was it the monetary like the material the, the way that cam was helping out materially that they were nervous of disrupting that or yeah what yeah i i i think it's probably a mixture of all of them mm-hmm. uh, i think there was they were naive too and probably just trusting too much mm-hmm. uh, i know the one guy um who was a younger pastor maybe probably not not experienced enough and uh it's just, I think, at the beginning, um, yeah, they just wanted, they just believed in what they were doing so much. And they, they could not accept the idea that something so ugly could be happening among the good they're trying to do. So it was just easy to just dismiss it and continue, heads down. And like you said, I think what I was reporting was a threat to what, to the plans that they had, you know, it's an exciting, uh, it's, it's an exciting thing for local church to start working with a group of missionaries, you know, and as pastors, as leaders, they have their vision, they have an agenda, you know, probably already dreaming and planning on what they want to do to build this or to build that, you know, what to ask for this, what to ask for that. So it was, so whatever I had to report was just, it was, there was no room for it. It wasn't the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of, yeah, of all of that. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. So after, wh- when did that happen? So that would be, in the early 2000s, uh, okay. around 
2003-ish, something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you spent the next eight to 10 years trying to block that out of your mind. And you and you guys were still working with Cam through all yeah. that? Yeah, yes, uh, with the Piana Baptists, um, okay. including yeah. Cam and other missions, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after after that meeting, they uh, never talked about it, never revisit with me. Um, I did it, so I, I just, just kept convincing, telling myself, repeating to myself what they told me. And uh, yeah, and you, I, like, go ahead. That you had had a bad dream, that kind of correct. stuff. Correct, yeah. correct, correct. Um, but I, it's not like I believed myself. But it's just I was trying to convince myself. I knew what I what I what I lived was real. You know, I talked to the guy. He answered me. I woke up and went home. You know, he. I remember all the all the sensations or everything, or how it mm-hmm. felt. I understand everything. I remember everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and uh, again, it's for the sake of for the sake of the gospel, you know. And it's like, I feel like, okay, even if, okay, it, it was real, I can make this little bit of sacrifice for the sake of the gospel so we don't, so I don't cause a scandal, so I don't paint this, you know, the servants of God in a bad light, so I, you know, it's just many reasons, you know, it's a lot of reasons to deny it. So I grew up, like you said, uh, eight, nine years convincing myself of that. And uh, until uh, a friend, a family friend stopped. By then I, ha- I had worked for different missions and was uh, and lived on a campus for another. I was living on, on another missions campus. It wasn't still an, Ab- an Anabaptist mission. Okay. And then a family friend stopped by and said, you know, you got to be careful with these people you're working with uh, because I heard da-da-da about, you know, the same mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. and uh, which was Dreyer. And, it, it came, you know, that was the light bulb went on in my head. I, I knew I was right. So, and it was about my brother. So the mm-hmm. guy... So he abused my brother, similar, similar uh, setup, similar event. He abused my brother and a, and a, and a, and another friend. Hmm. So uh, that's when I, I finally, you know, I knew it was real. Uh, so I reported yeah. it to, uh, so I called my brother, verified everything. Got all the details, you know, you know, that's him. That's it. No doubt. That's him. That's how he did me too. And then I talked to a, to a, another, an Anabaptist leader. He, he was working for another mission. Um, so I talked to him. Uh, he took me serious, you know, which, which still this day I don't understand because I, I, I didn't meet this guy for a long time. He, he believed me right away, and I think within one or two days he set up a meeting, and mm-hmm. 
and that's when the uh, the report was taken. Yeah. The report from the three of you together. Correct. And so that happened in 2013 or 2011. Okay. 2013. Yeah. So the abuse, the abuse happened in 2011, Okay. but I didn't learn about it until one or two years. I think, uh, they were trying to hide it. Uh, it works. Um, trying, I think one of, I think my brother didn't want to ruin his reputation. Um, Mm. So they tried to hide it. He he didn't even tell my dad or any other pastor, nobody. They just talked about what happened among friends, just to be careful with with him whenever he comes around, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and you you say in the book that your friend, your brother's friend had told him, and he, like, denied it. Yeah. O- only to then have it happen to him. And then he That's felt correct. a lot of shame. And, yeah. 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 So w- basically just to <laughs> maybe f- fast forward the story a little bit, you guys gave this report in 2013 and you thought you were you under the impression that Cam was doing something with it or, or did you not know what, happened to it well we actually right after that meeting on my way home i cried i cried because i I was like i just destroyed his life because the the meeting was so Hmm. i don't know how to describe it it was so so deep so heavy so incredible yeah gut-wrenching that uh, the two guys, Steve and Harold, uh, they said, this guy is, is done. You know, they, they, they went as far, they went as far as uh, painting scenarios like going to prison. He's done. Nobody would trust him again. It was clear in our mind. And this is coming from people in the Anabaptist culture. And I think one of them even worked for Cam at some time. You know? So we believe that after that report, it would be taken care of. We weren't sure how, you know, what it meant to take care of it at the time, but we were sure that for sure an organization like CAM will just handle this. There was no doubt. And I think um, shortly afterwards, um, he, uh, Dryer, came to my dad's place. And confessed. And confessed to to my dad. I don't think oh, he confessed to um, to the boys. I don't remember, but for sure he kneeled at my dad's feet and just cried and stuff like that. But I don't think that was because of Kim. Later on, I learned that that was for because he was working, which is why the way the Anabaptists work in Haiti it can be can be tricky because at the time, mm-hmm. at the time of my brother and, uh, and our friend's abuse, he was working for more than one mission. So oh, okay. he was working part-time for this mission, working uh, uh, for Kim part-time and stuff like that. So it was, you know, I think for time, 
pretty much full time, but he would also work with another mission. So I think that other mission, which is life literature, I think, uh, were were hard on him. I think um, one of the guys who came for the report was working with life literature. I think a board member flew down to Haiti, got on his case, confronted him. A board member for life literature, I mean. And so I think too, because he's really smart too. He knows when to, um, when to play the game hmm. and, and look like he's broken. Hmm. That way, the confrontation don't, and the, the exposing don't, be, don't continue. That way, he just kind of hmm. you know, appear like, like he's broken, he's repentant. I think he did that. And uh, then he was, uh, <clears throat> I think he went to the States afterwards and uh, repented there, got disciplined from his church. Uh, I think he was, he had a girlfriend. Um, I think they broke, I don't remember all the details. I think they, they broke up, got back together, got married, and was allowed to go back to Haiti, something like that. I think it wasn't unknown. That's the mm-hmm. thing. It's uh, yeah. like even before he was sent to Haiti, which would be early 2000, late 90s, it was known that he had this type of behavior. And actually, he's right now he's serving a sentence of nine years, I think, for crimes that he committed, not, not Haitian, not the ones in Haiti, yeah. the ones he committed yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. So it was known from his church. Um, I heard that, uh, you know, his, his brother-in-law, you know, his girlfriend, anyway. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. This you you guys had this encounter where, again, and and it's it's easy to kind of yeah like the way you described it is so well like it's easy to map on Anabaptist mission in Haiti O Cam, but the two guys you you first reported to weren't necessarily any authority in Cam. They were just the ones who believed you, and they they said they were going to take it to Cam. Mm-hmm. Is that am I, am I tracking correctly? Yes, I think one was work. One used to work with him, but oh. the other one was just a good friend, somebody mm-hmm. who just believed me. It's it's, uh, it's one of my best friends till this day. It's a guy mm-hmm. that I trust, uh, and I, I, and really at the time, it's the only person I talked to about that, mm-hmm. and he believed me took it seriously and I think he got uh, Harold which uh, who is someone who worked for Kim and okay. who was also uh, Triad's boss at the time because he worked for Life Literature at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. and but they they weren't involved with Kim uh, at the time really. But they yeah. sent the report to Kim. Yeah. And Jariah goes off gets disciplined by his church he's repentant comes back married and 
in 2018, the 30, 30 boys from, I can't say the name of the, um, Pitiguav. Yeah. Pitiguav. Is that, is that when they filed the lawsuit then? So based on what I, what I understand is, so as a bit of the timeline, we sent a report in 2013 and when I joined Kim in 2014, Dryer wasn't on campus. I think he was still in the U.S. I don't know, going through okay. discipline or whatever. But I think shortly after, if not almost the same week or something like that, he he then came. Yeah, if I remember right, came with his wife. So he was married. Um, and for the next five years, up until... 2019, he kept doing it, and he did uh, some of it. He did on campus. Um, so the abuse happened on Cam's camp- campus. Some of it happened um, like one mile from Cam in the local community there. Um, sounds like he got some accomplices that you know Haitian accomplices who knew what was going on, community leaders. Um, you know, we're just in a position where they had to choose between keep receiving help or exposing what was happening. And they choose the help. Yeah. Um, so it was it was going on like that, and uh, um, until that was in 2019, not 2018. So in 2019, oh, okay. Okay. if I remember right, uh, not I don't, it wasn't at 30. I think it was just a handful, maybe five or six guys, mm. um, you know, uh, started, uh, they, they, they filed a complaint against him in particular. And that is when I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't just us three. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, we thought that it was just us three and that it was handled and everything's good. Or like even with... <laughs> Even with no help, no attention, nothing, you know, every time we try to raise, you know, and talk about it, we're encouraged to forgive, not cause trouble, not cause scandal. And yeah. uh, and nothing was done about him, like really. He wasn't held accountable. It was just going free, just traveling everywhere. Yeah. Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Dwell app. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Dwell Audio Bible app, but this app is phenomenal. It it's changed my life in several different ways. As a Bible college student, I do tremendous amounts of Bible reading throughout the semester, more than I normally do. And I'm not a fast reader. And so one of the ways that I have been able to keep on top of the Bible reading is through the Dwell app. One of the things I really like about it is there's very meditative, reflective music played in the background of the reader. So it's not dramatized. Some some audio Bible apps are dramatized and that's a little, I don't know, not my cup of tea. But it's a very calming and 
just peaceful way of having the Bible read to you. There's also, there's at least 15, I think there's close to 30 by now, different voices that you can choose from. There's many different translations you can choose from. For the ESV, I think there's maybe two or three voices, if that makes sense. But there's over 15 voices for sure. And so you can have a female voice, you can have a male voice, you can have a British accent, you can have an American accent, you can have a Canadian accent or a... Well, I like the British accent, so I listen to the Bible in the British accent, and it's it's been a really good way to keep on top of my homework, but also I have found, sometimes I'll be listening to audio Bible as I commute someplace, or as I'm doing some other work, or even in the morning. Sometimes it's hard to wake up, you're tired, and to sit down and read, it literally feels like an intellectual exercise. You're just... It's like school, like starting your day with school. And I love learning things, but I'm not like, I don't do well at starting my day with school. And so when you wake up and you're tired, but you want you want to meditate on the word of God to just put in my Air, AirPods and listen to the Dwell app is an incredible way to start my morning, just in peaceful worship, meditation. I hear things differently when I hear it being read than when I read it. I personally think you should read and hear it both, but that's one thing I like about audio Bible is different things stick out that didn't stand out before. I'll listen to it as I'm going on a run or something, and I can't say enough good about the Dwell app. And so if you would like to take your meditation, your Bible reading to another level, you can also, if you're not able to sleep at night, you can put in your AirPods and and listen to the scripture being read and fall asleep that way. I've used that at times as well. But you can start for free. There's a link in the description below or you can go ahead and purchase the the annual plan which I have and it's to me it's very much worth it just in the way a couple things the way it helps me uh, meditate and kind of a fresh view a fresh experience with scripture and then also the way it helps me keep on top of my homework it's been very helpful for me so then in 2019 is when it it all became a legal matter in haiti like people filed this complaint and and jariah was and cam as an organization was required to show up at different court hearings and stuff. But they, if if I tracked it correctly, he fled the country. Is that correct? He That's came correct. to the U.S. Yeah. Has he ever stood, uh, given account for those crimes there in Haiti? Nope. No. So Cam, Cam essentially negotiated with each of the victims one-on-one. Yeah, so he fled. He fled the country. Uh, he's he he was just gonna deny everything, but it was mm-hmm. just the evidence were just too too strong against him. So he fled and uh, leaving Cam to deal with it. And I guess Cam just decided, um, you know, the it was just easier or in knowing. You know the me the the poverty. They thought the the most efficient way to go about it was to just, you know, start passing around. Uh, the, the tricky thing that Cam did is 
they were playing on both on both like they were offense defense you know mm-hmm. and uh were they were it got lowered up higher a lot of lawyers like in the US in Haiti um, mm-hmm. to just guide them through the process they prepare NDAs and stuff like that but at the same time they had some other Haitians contacting the victims to remind them that you know we need to be non-resistant uh, it's wrong for you don't need a lawyer a lawyer is going to cost you a lot of money to you know it's just just hypocritical really mm-hmm. but yeah started passing a few thousands of, I heard amounts as, as low as three thousands you know mm-hmm. and it depending mm-hmm. on the resistance the increase you know mm-hmm. yeah so is that I, I couldn't quite tell from the book did they were they able to do that with all the victims or like you, you you didn't settle with them is that correct no i did it and uh so in so i was in the position to negotiate for some others so, so I, i spoke for myself my brother and our mm-hmm. friend so we okay. did it we did not uh take the money yeah. but uh based on what they said most most of the most most victims did yeah Yeah. You you tell the story of one of the conversations where they were trying to get you to to take the pay and and you mentioned you were testing to see how how sincere they were in like wanting to care for you guys and you gave it a, a kind of an outrageous amount. Yeah. And they made the comment what was the comment they said to you? Yeah. So I think uh that for me was uh, eye opening because mm-hmm. I served with these people. I worked with these people for many years. And uh, some of them are, some of them are Americans, some of them are pastors, some of them I interpret with. So I remember I know their conviction. I know why what they teach. So to hear them uh to hear some of their comments were just unbelievable so they they put in place a committee like i said with Haitians and Americans to do that just contact the victims get in touch with them and pay them out pay them out make them sign uh, a legal document and uh so they they got to work in they were they were just making a lot of progress just just uh, manipulating a lot of victims so they then they contacted me you know but i was i was representing three victims mm-hmm. so yeah like you said it was one unbelievable conversations but this guy started with uh, not causing a scandal You know that was you know mm. because he was a pastor, you know, just using the Bible, not causing scandal. Um, these are servants of God. Even if they fall, you know, God is going to restore them. You you don't want to fight against God's church and stuff like that. And uh, mm. I would just reject everything they say. Just reject, reject. And uh, and he finally got to the point where he said, "Well, 
let's let's just work something out. We're we're really sorry about what happened, and we will do anything it takes, you know, to make it right or to support you guys. Like you said, I, I named a very just on an unreal amount, just in millions, you know. And that's when he said, and he said, if you if you guys if you guys try to take advantage of a situation to make Cam spend too much money, it, it won't do you any good because you're gonna get sick. Um, yourself and your family, you'll spend you'll spend it all on hospital fees. And uh, it was just unreal. And this is a guy that I thought was my friend. This is a guy I thought I served with. You know, I spent time love eat with mm-hmm. so and at the time it really struck me because my wife were pregnant with her firstborn so I was like oh no yeah so that wasn't unreal and I I kept having conversations like that another one the guy was uh, you know just called me and say you know Dilo we're we're all Work with us. This is the best option you have because if you hire a lawyer, they're gonna be expensive to pay. You know, they're gonna take if you ever if we ever give you some money, they're gonna take most of it. You might end you might end up owing them money actually. Um, and he said, uh, knowing how the justice system is corrupt, you know, judges can be harsh and stuff can be bought and. Uh, you, you might spend 15 years and this is never handled, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the same guy told me, so this was after my wife gave birth. So I heard that you you have a new baby. It would be a shame when your baby grow up and he finds out about what happened to you. So just different tactics, different strategies to just get me to just sign the thing, take the money, and just go my way. Yeah. 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 When I read that encounter, I was, I mean, yeah, I, I too found it unbelievable and immediately thought of the, the, the people of Israel in scripture where like they were supposed to be this light to all the other nations, but they didn't faithfully follow God and they ended up becoming just like all the other nations. And here, here you have a mission organization that, is attempting to be a light to you know other nations to to people to pagan people and yet that concept of like bringing a curse on yourself and you're gonna your family's gonna be sick like that resembles paganism more than the gospel of jesus yep yeah and it's uh it is it is very sad and sometimes you know sometimes i don't i don't know what to think because if you like let's say if you if you don't say who you're talking about you're just okay there is two sides to this issue on one side you have people offering the victims money you have people telling the victims if they take their money they're gonna get sick you got you have people telling the victims that you know they won't they justice will never be served, and on the other side, you have you know 
people that are talking about justice that are saying this is not right. The and if you would think that the second side or is Christian, but it's totally the opposite. You know, the mm-hmm. judges, lawyers, random journalists, um, people who don't even know, who don't even go to church, mm-hmm. um, they're the ones saying this is not right. They're the one um, talking about justice, talking about you know caring for the victims, and you have, like you say, these people who preach the gospel, and, and they're the one manipulating and covering up and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what what has, like, as things currently stand, I guess maybe I'll just ask, like, where do things currently stand? Like, so... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, go for it. No, I was just going to say, from what I understand, it it kind of you eventually hired a lawyer and just started deferring them to the lawyer, and and you and your family have created some space between that. Um, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, because it was it was just too stressful, and uh, and you could feel that the goal wasn't to care or to be fair the goal was just how do we get how do we get this over with the fastest you know and uh, so then I got both tired and disgusted at the same time I just didn't want to hear about these people because every time you talk to them you're just mad I can't believe this it messes up your mood and uh, so I just refer him to a lawyer and actually um, some of us because I was representing more than myself <clears throat> some of us um, have found a, a resolution and uh, some of us have not yet because like I said at the beginning it's more than one mission at fault so it depends on the timeline um, and who's to be held responsible. Um, <clears throat> so it's still going on, uh, but I would say that most of it, uh, or at least half of it, is 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 uh, is handled already. And um, yeah, so this is how it is right now. But as you know, in these cases, there is a civil part, and then there is a criminal side. So I've also been working with. Uh, with uh, the Homeland Security, which is a department of the government, the U.S. government, uh, investigating and uh, getting ready. So during the the, the pandemic, slowed that down a lot, mm. and uh, we had to change uh, investigators. It's it's a long process, but um, we're not giving up on that. And uh, I think so. I was raised with this non-resistance thing, uh, I mean, doctrine. And I think uh, the churches that I was raised in, including Kim, did a good job at making us uh, feel that the government is evil. Mm. You know, and for most of my life, and it's easy to believe that 
when you're from a country like Haiti, because you see the corruption, you see, you see, okay, this is evil. You know, as a Christian, I, I want nothing to do with this. And, uh, but in this case, and with my experience with, <clears throat> with lawyers and with, uh, with uh, like uh, de detectives and investigators on the U.S. government side, I'm I'm like these people are the Christians in this story. You know, these people are the one talking Jesus language in this story. You know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you take the positions or the 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 comments of a judge of a lawyer, you can feel, um, or if you're talking with a detective. You can feel they're disgusted by what happened, and they they have empathy. They have um, they have a sense of justice, and they want to do something to make it stop. They want to make an example out of. And hey, they're talking my language. You know that's what I want to. So <clears throat> yeah, I've been I've been working with them, and I think um, yeah, I think it's the right thing. It's the right thing, especially about this issue, yeah. about about what it means as a Haitian, and uh, and for these for these thirty other boys who who won't be able to sit on a podcast like this, I think the right thing is to sue everybody involved in this, and to and to allow them. And to allow them to meet the consequences of their actions, I think that this is God's will for them at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, I think I, I grew up Anabaptist. I grew up in that non-resistant world. You know, the the passage is quoted often where it talks about settling with your accuser out of court. Actually, I'm trying to think. Does it say the accuser, or is it if you have an issue with someone? Oh. Yeah, I think Jesus said, uh, "Yeah, if uh, I think it's more like an accuser." Like when Jesus, in the context, Jesus saying, "He said, actually, on your way to court, try to settle before yeah. you get there." Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but I think, yeah, and and so. I, I've just personally like processed not this is kind of a good vivid example that that forces us all to think about it but there's been some other smaller issues and cases that I've I've processed through like what is because in this case that teaching of Jesus is being used to oppress to manipulate to silence um, it's being used to self-protect because if they're, if they're forced to go to court, they're like Jesus said, you will have to pay the full, the full consequences. And I think, especially when, yeah, I don't, you didn't ask what I thought, but yeah, I, go ahead. I'm I, interested. <laughs> especially when, when, you have had the experience with them that you have where there is, you know, 
you have the story at the end where there was a a Haitian pastor who discovered like one of his young dis- men or kids come to him and say that one of the missionaries he's brought in is I don't think he had like actually abused him but was trying to yeah. trying to do stuff with him and he he kicked him out basically like told him mm-hmm. to pack up his things and leave and does he do you talk about consequences that that guy ends up facing or is was that story just about the way the pastor handled it mostly yeah i think the pastor yeah, yeah the way he handled it and the fact that the guy never was never heard he never returned to the country yeah yeah like if if there was a a place of if it had been handled like that, if people had that kind of posture, then there's, you know, then it's, it's, then it, there might be a place for like letting, letting Jariah face his consequences and Cam, you know, have forgiveness or whatever for Cam. If, if they had that, oops, bumping my mic, if they had that um, response where they're 100% behind the victims and confronting and removing this person, but that's not how the response has been. And, and in that case, then I, because we can't, we like to pick and choose our scriptures. And I think of the the passage where Paul says, God has ordained the government to carry the sword, to punish yes. evildoers and reward those who do good. And, and in this case, this is a matter of an evil an evildoer needing to be punished and give account. And so I, yeah, I support your, what you're doing. And even, even though, I mean, right, right now that's just words um, and giving you space on my podcast to tell your story. But I know that this has already and probably will bring a lot of stress and emotional pain i mean even physical stress and and pain complications to you and your family not not because of a curse or anything but just because of the the conflict that this type of thing brings up in our in our emotional beings but even even in our physical circumstances sometimes and and I just want to bless you with the grace of God to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> thank you for saying that. And uh, yeah, I was I was at that conference just just a few days ago. Yeah, I had the uh, had some very interesting conversations and uh, hmm. and uh, and uh, one of what them is- was. Go ahead. No, I'll let you finish. Sorry, I was jumping in. Yeah. Yeah, and one, actually not just one, some of these conversations were, uh, what I, what can I do, you know? And uh, um, and I was just blessed. And maybe if you're not from a, from a background of abuse, um, you may not realize how, how, how much it means to just be there. Or like you said, <clears throat> to just um, 
give these positive words and like you say, give space on your platform for for someone to express himself. Because on in this oppressive, abusive environment, they tend to make the victim feel like um you you're the only troublemaker. Everybody is able to get over it, to forgive, to follow God, you know, to be a, to be the bigger person, right? <clears throat> so victims are usually usually victims have to to in, inner, internalize and to suppress and to not be heard and to put up a face, put up a front. You know, they have to pretend like they're this tough being who's just getting over it, you know, just serving God and in spite of, you know, and looking forward to eternity where, you know, the world is going to be great. Mm-hmm. So to just have somebody for no reason, you know, somebody who could easily be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Take time to listen to you, take time to give you space to express yourself. <clears throat> or to just come to an event like the one I was in and to sit in some of the sessions were so healing for me. Like I was at my table give passing around books or signing books, but every chance I got, I just went there and all they were talking about was was how abuse is wrong. It's wrong to abuse and how God hates it and what we can do to fight it. And I was like, it was you no, know, it was overwhelming to to see seven seven hundred and fifty people just there. Yeah. Ready to fight for me, <laughs> learning yeah. how to fight for me. So I'm like, you better not mess with me now, right? <laughs> so that's yeah. But it's just to tell you to say thank you, and yeah, uh, yeah like like you say, even with the with this uh, <clears throat> letting the government enter, uh, it's it's very heavy. It's a very big decision, and like you say, it it has a uh, a big price tag, uh, both on, on the emotionally and spiritually and physically, and um, so it's not. I'd rather not have to make that choice, right? Mm. But I think um, life, along with God, has put me in a position. I I don't think there's. There is no other way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dilo, for sharing. We're um, we've had some tech technological difficulties throughout this interview, and it's it's getting a little later than I had anticipated. But um, I appreciate you being willing to share the story. It's a very condensed version. I highly recommend, and I'll have a link in the description, but people, uh, for my audio audience, I'm holding up the book so that the people in the video can see it. But, um, in the name of mission work, you can get it on Amazon. And I, um, forgot what I was going to say, but I want to shift. If you, if you still have a few minutes here, um, for my Patreon audience, I would like to discuss a little bit 
more in depth. Give me a minute. I was, there was something I was going to say to wrap up our other conversation, but we're going to, we're going to discuss a little bit, just some practical, like what, if, if Cam would have handled this well from the beginning, what would that have looked like? Or if, if you're a part of a ministry or church and you want to be prepared ahead of time, what, what are some practical things that Dilo, as he interacted, as he reported it, as he talked with different leaders, like what would they have said and done? Um, I, I remembered what I was going to talk about. And that, and that was kind of dovetailing off of your comment about the symposium you were just at. I think, I think there's a lot of abuse that happens and gets covered up and, and it, it is control. It is malicious, like drive for control to protect reputation and all that. Even in conservative churches, I th that happens. We know that happens in the world. Like you said, with the Haitian government, like it's obvious there when, when you're talking about Christian organizations or like Christian founded things, it's maybe a little harder to see sometimes, but that that kind of control and manipulation does happen, sadly. But I also think there's a lot of people who are just kind of ignorant, like yeah. not totally clueless that this type of thing goes on. And even, even just some of the, again, I think I highly recommend this book. I, I wrote a review on Goodreads, just a short little blurb. But one of the things that I said was, I think it should be mandatory reading for anybody going into missions um, because it's, it's just a really good analysis commentary on missions and the posture of a missionary. But some of the things that you said that were going on in, excuse me, were going on by cam, like the way that, they didn't allow Haitian translators to stay in the nice rooms, but the Americans are sacrificing a lot to come down. Haitians are used to suffering. And so they can deal with that. Like that's unbelievable. I I'm, I've never worked for cam. I've never been a part of cam in any way. Um, but I'm very familiar with cam. I, I know people who have worked for cam and, and the fact that that is the, the posture of our, of, of Cam's missions. Like I was totally ignorant to that. And, and, yeah. and so to hear criticism of Cam without like that firsthand account, I may have tried to defend it or like give another explanation for it. And I, and that's one of the things that I think is so good about these firsthand stories is it's kind of exposing. And I know, I have I have relatives who work with Cam. I have friends. I know that Cam is to a certain degree in some ways trying to develop a better onboarding process for their staff so that so that they don't bump into that kind of thing. But all that to say that there's a lot of a lot of things can go on that we don't know about and I think the rise of this whole case, there's been some other cases on the state side here that are making us all aware of how much sexual abuse, 
how much any kind of abuse does exist even in our churches and there's a lot of people who don't want that to exist and just didn't know just yeah no clue so and and so the challenge for all of us is just to be willing to to learn and to listen to like when somebody comes forward to lean into that and so thank yeah thank you just to wrap up this kind of time thank you for sharing you mentioned before we hit record that you you had started a podcast do you have do you have a website or or a place where if people want to hear more from you or is it kind of just a book at this point um well i have a website it's in the name of missionwork.com so it's at the name of okay. the book.com i have a yeah. facebook page um the same the same the same name the name of the book the title i mean okay. of the book and uh <clears throat> yeah both yeah these are the two main ones the email is in the name of mw formation at gmail.com um okay yeah for now it is and as far as the, the podcast i'm i'm praying about it i do think um yeah there is a need yeah, I do feel the burden to to be content creator. I'm not sure. Um, in, in Creole, I know I yeah, I'm pretty clear about what what I need to do. But I would also I'd I'd like to be present. Uh, I have this pastor in a church, and he likes to say, uh, <clears throat> as Christian, we 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 should not abandon the gate of the city and that always is my mind i think mm -hmm. as christian uh, and he's referring to the old testament how the gate of the city was where everything happened if they have to stone somebody if, if there is if something you know if there's a decision if it's it, and he's it's like as christian we should be in the in the current conversations you know mm -hmm. providing uh, biblical insights you know Go, going at things at angles that our people are interested in, you know, as Christians. And uh, mm -hmm. so I'm looking for a space like that that I can be a part of and learn from and hopefully interviewing interesting people that I, that I hear about or read. So yeah. it's still, it's not, it's still not clear in my mind yet, but I guess I'll let you know <laughs> how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no that that's interesting. I I obviously am a content creator. I I enjoy it. And I agree. Like that's kind of why I do it is I I think we should have conversations around these things. Yeah. So I I would wholeheartedly support you in doing that, but but I know that it's um can take a lot of time. Yeah. Take, yeah. Yeah. So let us know if you if you ever do. Sure, sure, I will. But for now, people can can look you up, type in the 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 name of the book. Pretty much, I think you can just punch it in on Google, and then yeah. Yeah. that's the first thing that comes up. But um, yeah, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing, and and I'm glad to have made the connection with you, and and look forward to more conversations. Yes, and. Uh... Thank you. Thank, thanks for having me. And um, it matters, right? It matters to take the time to give the space, um, yeah, to 
not not dialogue, but to people, you know, who have been oppressed, who have been silenced, abused, to just give them a space to express themselves, and and uh, and that will help raise awareness around the issue. So thank you. You may not feel like you're doing a lot, but it it is a lot. It is very significant, and uh, God bless you for that. Christianity is brought to you by our members at Patreon. As a part of the membership program, you receive two deep dive essays a month and expanded versions of all our podcast interviews. If you would like to become a member, visit www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. Unfeigned Christianity Podcast is also a part of two networks, the Restorative Faith Collective, where we have conversations about race, perspectives, and relationships in an Anabaptist context. To learn about more articles and podcasts, visit www.restorativefaithcollective.org. The second network is the Kingdom Outpost, where we talk about what it looks like to live as Jesus's nation in today's world. For more podcasts and articles, visit kingdomoutpost.org. Thanks for listening.